the family podcast sponsored by Jump. To find out more about starting a child's trust fund, visit jumpsavings.com. Hi, and welcome to the Guardian's family podcast. In this month's show, the pain of not having grandchildren and the real pain of having to hear about other people's grandkids. Oh, Ruby did this and Daisy did the other and Joel, you know, is is a genius. It is incredibly tedious. AIBU, my DH and DS are not happy that I've been consulting SWMNBN. The acronym-heavy parenting website Mumsnet celebrates its 10th anniversary. We look at their top 10 moments of the decade. And writer Andrea Levy talks teenagers and Chesney Hawks in her family playlist. This is the family podcast from The Guardian. And joining me in the podcast studio this month is Guardian Weekend columnist and harried dad, Tim Dowling. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you. <laughs> how are you? I'm fine, how are you? So um, you write a column about your family that's uh, obviously there every week. Do you have any problems with your family with writing about them? Uh, yes, on and off I do. By and large, my children don't read it. So that's lucky. I don't have much of a problem. And I did tell them that if I quoted them directly, I'd give them five pounds. And do you? I give, if they read it and they spot it, I don't offer it up. <laughs> then they get the five pounds. They've only, I've only had to pay out once or twice. And what about your wife? Because you write quite a lot about her. You write it kind of in a very particular way. So you, you use yourself as a whipping boy, kind of. But Yeah, I mean, that's not far off the truth, to be honest. I mean, actually, that is the truth, I think. <laughs> you know, I am the whipping boy. And uh, she doesn't really mind being portrayed that way, I think, because she thinks that I leave out the worst of it. Ah, is there, a, is there a kind of written deal? <laughs> no, there's no deal. Usually she trusts me, but uh, she does read it every week, and if she's not happy, she complains. Oh, okay. Because when I first started seeing the man who's now my husband, he said, you cannot write about me at all. <laughs> and I kind of went, oh, okay. But then, of course, you do. Just, you know, if you write columns, they kind of, you know, your life weaves itself in. But I have been told off on yeah. several occasions. People can get very upset, can't they? Yes, they can. But as far as I'm concerned, this column is all about me, and everybody else is an intruder. <laughs> worm their way into it and I'm you know I'm happy to have them in it less now grandparents seem to have all the fun with kids shoving the little ones full of e-numbers and telly before packing them home like an overwired wrecking crew but what if you reach a certain age and there are no grandkids to spoil and or brag about Our reporter, Karen Glazer, spoke to several people who, for various reasons, don't have grandchildren. She started by talking to Hazel. Like all people, when I was a teenager, I just assumed, naturally, that I would um, go to school, uh, meet a boy, get married, have children, and that would be that. But it didn't happen, and for a number of years, I suffered some medical issues which resulted in me having to have a hysterectomy Uh, when I was about 48 Um, and at that age a lot of my friends were actually um, a bit older than me they were having grandchildren so I had this sudden shock to my sister about a I was never going to be a mother but also at the same time I came to the um, sudden realization that I was also not going to be a grandmother Um, I, I did find it difficult listening to my friends glowing conversations about their grandchildren and it, and I, I found it impossible to tell them my feelings um, because I, I didn't want to rain on their parade I didn't want to 
spoil their enjoyment, but at the same time there was a lot of pain inside me, thinking I'm never going to experience this. Basil is 81 years old and has two children, a son who is disabled and a daughter who at 48 is now past her childbearing years. Of course, I have no grandchildren, which is something that I regret, but I'm not crazy about. It doesn't worry me. I don't, I, I don't have a situation where I don't sleep at night because of that, but it would have been nice. It isn't easy. I mean, there are still times, even after all these years, there are still times where for no reason... I'll see a picture of perhaps a grandmother with a, a granddaughter and I'll just break down. I will just cry. And, and, it, and it's almost like it's pent up inside me and every so often it just has to come out. I do miss the idea of not having a grandchild. That's absolutely true. And seeing little children in shops or in the street, I think if they're mothers or little babies, uh, sometimes I say to a mother, forgive me, but I think you're very lucky. It's absolutely wonderful. I, I wouldn't mind having that when I could eat your child. Uh, because I think it's that kind of closeness that you can feel for the grandchildren that I never had. Maria has a son and a daughter, both in their 30s, both single, and both still hopeful that they'll have kids. However, at 72, Maria is uncertain that becoming a grandma is what she really wants. I am not um, itching or aching to have grandchildren. I'm quite comfortable where I'm at. I would love my daughter to have um, little children because she's very keen. And if it happens, it happens, and that's fine. And I'm comfortable where I'm at. I do realise at this late stage of my life, to have expectations that cannot be realised can be very discomforting and very uncomfortable and very unhappy, and I'm not there. I'm taking life as it comes, and it's good. So how does it feel when your siblings become grandparents? You may think you've resolved any feelings about not having grandchildren yourself, but when your brothers and sisters start pushing prams for the second time round, how will you react? I have sisters who've got grandchildren and they worship them and they're very involved with um, childminding. In fact, I was in Ireland recently and I was with my sister whose husband was ill in hospital. So I um, was very interested in her little grandchild and I just found myself being, you know, quite motherly towards her and getting on very well with her, which quite surprised me. I thought I was past it and beyond it, but it hasn't made me feel, oh, I wish I was a grandmother. Sometime in the next five years I truly expect certainly my brothers and sisters offspring to be having children if this is this is a problem that's going to get greater not lesser to be honest I'm kind of not looking forward to that day when they tell me it's almost impossible to imagine how bad it's going to feel um, I expect it will be mixed emotions left right and center and uh, I don't know I, I just I will have to have my coping mechanisms in place um, and I will desperately not want to spoil anything for them. Um, but I am thinking it's going to be very, very difficult. <laughs> so we will just get through it. And I really genuinely would rather that they became grandparents and I could enjoy it with them than, than it not happening. For all the world, it, it just would be lovely to see an extension of the wider family and I'll um I will want to celebrate that and there'll be times when I can and there'll be times when I have to walk away and go into a quiet place and my partner will hug me and I will get through it and there'll be other times where I shall enjoy holding the child and knowing that I'm great auntie Hazel. So when feelings run this deep surely getting out endless photos of the little darlings and generally showing off can be plain insensitive. Brian certainly thinks so. 
Neither of his two offspring is in a steady relationship, so for the moment at least, grandchildren are looking unlikely. One thing that really annoys us is people boasting about their grandchildren and talking incessantly about their grandchildren. People don't realise they're being insensitive in asking certain questions or making certain statements. So they need to perhaps just think about it a little bit before they spend ages and ages talking about their own grandchildren. As it happened last night, we were having a small dinner party with a couple who've got the grandchildren and another couple, similar to us, who haven't got any grandchildren. And the conversation was, oh, Ruby did this and Daisy did the other and Joel you know, is, is a genius, etc., etc., from the couple with the grandchildren, which we all found tedious. The wife of the other couple just said to the, uh, the grandchildren couple, please stop talking about your grandchildren. It is incredibly tedious. I do feel there is a big missing piece still in my life. And, of course, when I'm sort of 70, 80, 90 and not so mobile, not so active, not so able to do the things I do, there won't be grandchildren and even great-grandchildren coming around, knocking on the door, um, you know, who I can take pleasure in. So, you know, my family will remain as my brothers and sisters and their offspring and my lovely partner, but that's it. And there is, this is the end of my line, if you like. So no one ever talks about grandchildlessness, um, but you can hear from Hazel, who was speaking in that piece, just how painful it can be. Yeah, it's very moving, that bit, and it's yeah. true. It's, it's, none of this has really ever occurred to me before. Yeah. I had, it has kind of occurred to me before because uh, in our family there's me and my brother and it looked at one point like neither of us were going to have kids. <laughs> <laughs> I was ancient and uh, my brother's gay, so my poor mum was kind of champing at the bits but really trying not to and then when I did get pregnant she said it was incredibly difficult for for her um, to tell another friend of hers who also looked like they had not been about to have grandchildren they had bonded over the fact that they were about you know never going to have grandchildren and she had to then tell her and it was very difficult yeah it's a strange it's a strange bit of your life that over which you have very little control but obviously it's very important to you but there's not much you can do to sway people one way or the other. No, you can't really force your kids to... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should start now with, I mean, your, with yours. You know, say, only... I expect you to, to, <laughs> to procreate by the time you're 25. <laughs> I don't think I could do it. I'm the only one of my siblings who has kids, and, of course, my kids are over here. Yeah. And so my dad is, you know, I've taken them into a different country. Yeah, and how are, the, how are your parents about that, then? My mother died about 10 years ago, but my dad seems all right with it. It's just... It's, I mean, I think it's quite difficult to talk about, and I bring them over, you know, as often as I can, but it gets more and more expensive. Once you've had kids your, yourself, there is a kind of, what, I don't know, one assumes almost an inevitability that you feel that your, your children will then have grandchildren because mm-hmm. you've kind of started that process yourself and you feel like you're part of a line. I mean, would you be disappointed if, you're, if your kids didn't have kids themselves? Yes, I think I probably would, but... I think, as I said, I think it's something that's not in your control, and I think you have to treat things like that. You yeah. know, as you have to prepare yourself for the disappointment. You can't get drunk one night and go, "What are you going to do? Please give me a grandchild." You can try that. But there was a point. My mum was very good about um, me not having a child, 
uh, apart from one Christmas where she did get a bit tiddly mm-hmm. and <laughs> and followed me into the bathroom. This was after a massive family row between her and her own mother, saying, what are you going to do when you're older? And I kind of looked at her and thought, hang on a minute, we've just had this terrible family Christmas <laughs> where you've been arguing with your own mother and I've been arguing with you. Why would I think it was a good idea to reproduce? This is terrible. <laughs> Every month, we set our studio guest a piece of homework, which they then read out in the studio, and I mark and give them a well-done sticker if they deserve it. Not really. Here's Tim Dowling, who's been diligently researching his subject this month, the problem combination of teenagers and DIY. My three sons have now reached an age when it seems to me they ought to be willing to lend a hand in ordinary home maintenance. I had to do it when I was their age, after all, and I don't see why their childhood should be any easier than mine, or any easier than they already are. I'm not looking for apprentices. It's just that I sometimes need one of them to stand on a piece of wood while I saw it, or to make a pencil mark on the wall 48 and a half inches up from the skirting board, or hold a small nail in place while I take aim. But at the merest mention of a chore involving tools, they back out of the room and disappear. Why? It's not as if I'm forcing them to learn actual DIY skills. My father never taught me any. To be fair, he didn't have many to pass on although he was handy at fashioning small parts out of the resin used to make dental models, which he brought home from his office whenever it was needed. He taught me a lot about patience, however, and he taught me how to pace your obscenities so you still have something left when something else goes wrong an hour in. Above all, he taught me the true value of what in America we call a half-assed job. You'd think a half-assed job would be worth exactly half as much as a whole-assed job, but it's actually worth less than that. In certain cases, however it's still preferable to paying someone to do it properly. To be honest, I'm not even attempting to teach my kids that much. I just want a bit of company, someone to notice that I'm trying, and occasionally, maybe, an extra hand. The other day I was trying to install a window blind while my eldest son bore sullen witness. (laughs) Please, can you hand me the proprietary screwdriver, I said. The what, he said? The proprietary screwdriver by which I mean the special weird-ended screwdriver that came with the installation kit. Are you trying to say proprietary? That one, I said, with the orange handle. Can't you reach it? If I could reach it, I wouldn't be asking. It's just there. I know, but I'm holding this thing up, I said. By this point, I realized it really would have been easier to get it myself, but he finally shuffled over and handed it to me. It won't turn, I said after a minute of struggling, and it won't unturn either. Please go and get me some pliers from downstairs. Okay, he said, smiling to himself on his way out. Fifteen minutes later, he still hadn't returned. I could hear the television downstairs blaring. Finally, I let go of the bracket I was holding and watched it clatter to the floor, sending tiny, proprietary screws everywhere. I let out a long, complex string of obscenities, tightly arranged, beautifully paced. It's a tremendous shame none of my children was there to hear it. I'd quite like to hear the obscenities <laughs> as, they, as they go up the scale. Actually, he'd heard plenty by then. <laughs> so do you think DIY is something that you would like to teach your children? Um, I don't think I'm in a position to teach DIY to my children. There's, a, some, there's something that's sort of sub-DIY, which is not being afraid to take the back off things, which my dad always had. He yeah, thought, take the bits out before, and don't put them back in yeah. again. So before I hire someone to do this, I'm just going to see if I can fix it myself. And you, most, most of the time you mess it up worse. Obviously in that column, it's, your son is slightly mocking you. 
Yes, no, he's openly mocking me, I think. Yeah. I mean, do you, does that happen a lot? Do you find that... Um, I mean, is it kind of useful for a column, really? It is, and I think there's something... There's something that is, it's easy to go back and use yourself as a figure of fun after the fact. It works very well in a column. In real life, I have no sense of humor about myself at all, which I think is why it's funny, if it is funny. And I think they do sometimes, especially when I'm doing DIY, they just stare at me like an audience because they find it just watching me go spare. <laughs> do you ever get cheers at the end? <laughs> Standing ovation, well done. No, I get that horrible suppressed giggling that I, can't, I really can't bear. <laughs> Sorry, I feel like I'm suppressing my giggles <laughs> now. Oh, really? That's terrible. I hate this. I'm doing so it. I do apologise. I'm very sorry, Tim. Now it's time to darken the lights and bring out the Hannah Montana cake because Mumsnet is 10 years old. Britain's most popular parenting site was started a decade ago by mothers Justine Roberts and Carrie Longton. It's developed into a font of information on everything parental, from conception to your teenager's contraception, and is now in the position of being courted by all the major political parties for its access to a particular type of voter, the intelligent mum. Justine joins us in the studio. Hello. Hi, Miranda. Would you like us to sing Happy Birthday? Tim's got a great voice. Definitely. Off you go. Come on, Tim. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I don't oh, darn to. it all. I can't believe it. So you must be very proud hitting 10 years. Um, yes. Well, I'm not sure we ever thought we'd sort of be around 10 years later. We didn't really give it that much thought. But, uh, yeah, it's very exciting um, looking back. We're truly the old ladies of the internet, I think. OK, we're going to hear from some uh, Mumsnet users right now. The funniest section of Mumsnet is Am I Being Unreasonable, which is the busiest section of the site. So if you feel like you want to punch somebody, and you can't actually do that because it's illegal, you can go on to Mumsnet and metaphorically punch somebody by just having a go randomly at people you hate. So there's lots of venting about relatives. You can tell on the talk boards that around 10 o'clock things get rather emotional and I get the feeling that you know the kids have been put to bed and the Pinot Grigio has been uncorked. Probably three nights a week my husband arrives home in time for bedtime and he's obviously keen to see the children. He'll usually have a beer in the kitchen and then comes upstairs. But does he offer to finish the bath or do teeth and pyjamas or read a story, have a cuddle? God, it's driving me mad. Ah! So they have these cutesy acronyms like DS, which means my darling son, and DD, which is darling daughter, and DH, which is darling husband. Um, I just find it too much and it makes me want to run a mile. (laughs) My eight-year-old DD2 overreacts regularly at home. She is the youngest of three with DD1, 13, and DS, 10, both being calm and easygoing types. However, DD2 can go off on incredible traumas over nothing, sobbing and convinced that her world is ending. DH and I do worry about how she will cope with the teenage years. And I suppose it is a kind of virtual NCT group, in a way, and I have less need for that now. I know people use it in a very dark period of their lives. People, in whatever's going on, whether it's good, it actually is incredibly broad in terms of its function, so I don't think of it as one thing. I mean, I have sometimes gone on there for a recipe, because there's recipe sections. Recipe of the week. Legendary lemon drizzle cake. Mum's Net's most loved recipe makes for zesty, super moist cake perfection. Great for wowing guests who drop by for tea. Better for scoffing with kids as a half-term treat. I get concerned that all mothers get bracketed as a mum's netter and I hear things in the press about it, the next election being a mum's net election and I worry that 
it's almost like we're becoming the soccer mums like they're in America and the hockey mums in Canada. Um, and I, I really would run a mile from that kind of categorisation. The site generally is being courted by the, the politicians, kind of in the way that GMTV was at the last election. I think they, they seem to see it as a, a access to a particular kind of voter, don't they? I think so. I mean... What voter would you say they thought they were accessing? Well, I mean, I think they probably think they're, they're, they're accessing intelligent women, which is fair enough. I, I think to characterise mumsnitters as all middle class is, is, is missing a trick a bit. I think if there's one characteristic of them, that they're probably higher than average intelligence, certainly education. You know, we've surveyed and found 75% of our users have got a degree so or equivalent. Yeah. Um, but there are a wide range of sort of income levels and um, lots of people living on benefits, lots of lone parents, lots of you know um, dads as well actually so it, it's not just your Bowden wearing yummy mummy which is sometimes how we're rather unfairly characterized <laughs> so there's a, a few things that were brought up in those in those quotes and one of the things that I particularly noticed when I went to uh, been to, been on mum's net was was that breadth so you can go on for for certain you know just for a laugh I suppose and uh, the AIBU section is a is a, a laugh but this idea also of bereavement I found uh, very interesting because there's an incredibly large section about that isn't there mm. yeah and there are all sorts of you know special um, area forums which um, are, attract people who are of a particular sort of community really they create little communities within one big community and what about the idea I mean when I first went on to Mumsnet, I have to say that I found it quite off-putting because there were so many acronyms that I kept having to go to the acronym section to try and find what was going on. Obviously, I knew kind of LOL, but other than that, I was a bit, I was a bit uh, kind of flummoxed. And I felt a little bit like uh, when you first take your kid to school and you've disco- you discovered that actually some of the parents are already in cliques and you thought, oh, I thought I would kind of make new friends and they know each other already. And I felt slightly... Um, kind of cut out. Do you ever have uh, people mentioning that? Um, yeah, I think, well, I, like any new thing, you sort of have to get to grips with it. From a central point of view, you know, we don't control what's written. These acronyms have formed organically by, you know, the users themselves. I think if you're typing, you know, eight hours a day on Mum's Net, you want some acronyms. You don't want to have to write your dear husband out all those times. Um, but we do um, centrally always um, try not to elevate any posters. I mean, we have no sort of number of post gold star member type of no things. favorites no we absolutely you know welcome newbies we think newbies are the lifeblood of any community tim now i know that you've been on mum's net and in fact you contributed mm. to it do you ever find it slightly off-putting towards dads but uh i find it actually i find it unusually reasonable given that it is a mum's group um there, there are men on it there are, there are little bits for men there's mum's not isn't there but there was a bit i, lo- yes. I looked at that there and i was thinking mum's not there's a slightly plaintive little message going this isn't really working is it <laughs> because there was no no lengthy threads you know it didn't go on for pages and pages i see i mean people do you can you do find posts where people talk about their husbands uh, or partners in a slightly dismissive way mm. but for the most part you do get them sort of joining in every once in a while and I think the great thing about the internet, any kind of internet community, is you can skulk around at the back. As intimidating as it is to join in, you just you can get advice just by reading or looking around. You can see what it's like, and you don't have to sort of get anywhere near it. So for men, I think it can be helpful and interesting 
and you don't have to stick your oar in if you're afraid to. We d- we do have a dad's net section, and of course we don't know if, if anyone's a mum. You know, you post anonymously, <laughs> anyone can make it up. <laughs> it could be full of dads. I think you know it's probably you know eight hundred seventy-five thousand hairy truckers and fifty mums. <laughs> and what about? I would like to ask you in your top ten moments. You mentioned pirate sex. Now, can you explain your your Top ten moment of Not pirate really. sex. I, I, I don't understand half of what goes on. I mean, I think it was just um, there was a poster who came on and and posted a very funny thread about my my husband wants me to make pirate noises and and the rest of there were then seven hundred <laughs> posts saying shiver me timbers or you know uh, it was just but it was a sur- surreal thread that ran away with itself as it often does and I've really I really, it's beyond me. I have to say I read it and. <laughs> Of course, I thought pirate sex just sounds great. <laughs> and the poor poster said, you know, we're very happily married. We have a lovely sex life, a normal sex life. Suddenly he started going, <laughs> gym lad in the middle of sex. And I, and I worry it's because I've been going on about Johnny Depp a little too much. And I don't know how to make him stop. Well, all life is there. That's all life is <laughs> Well, thanks very much for coming in, Justine. And I hope you have a lovely birthday. Thank you. Each podcast, we'll be asking someone to give us three songs that remind them of important times in their family. Andrea Levy, genius author of Small Island, has another ace book out set in a Jamaican plantation called The Long Song. For this month's family playlist, I went to see her to talk about marriage and why she loves teenagers. The first track is um, Magic Moments by Perry Como. It just makes me smile saying it, actually. <laughs> Magic Moments. It's a, it's a wonderful song. Magic I was told that I used to sort of sit up in my pram when it came on because it's it's quite an old song. But I just have to hear it, and I just want to put my you know start sucking my thumb and reach for my comfort blanket. I'll never forget the moment we kissed the night of the hayride, the way that we hugged to try to keep warm while taking the sleigh ride. It reminds me of my dad, um, and uh, my sort of growing up really what specifically about your dad we had it and used to put it on our gramophone and uh play it over and over and over and over (laughs) there's something quite um cheesy about it isn't there i mean it's a cheesy song magic moments oh you're looking really shocked (laughs) cheesy (laughs) it's my heritage uh no um It's a, it's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful song, and I, I'll, I'll hear nothing said against it, actually. It's absolutely lovely. My second track is um, My Baby Just Cares For Me by Nina Simone. Fantastic record. It's my, uh, my husband's song. Doesn't that sound romantic? It does. It sounds lovely. Don't, don't be so embarrassed about it. <laughs> I am. But, uh, yes, it was uh, while we were... Courting, um, we would we would listen to that. My baby don't care for shows. My baby don't care for clothes. My baby just cares for me. We were together for 22 years before we got married. We've been together 30 uh, altogether now, but I didn't want to rush into anything. You know, I'm quite a cautious person, and I think, you know, I wanted to be sure. Yeah, you want to test him out. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So I, I, I don't think I've made a mistake. I don't, please. What changed your mind? Why did you decide to get married? 
as you get a bit older, it becomes, you know, it becomes practical. Uh, and I mean, and, and I know that sounds terrible, but it, it, it was for sort of practical reasons. All those sort of, you know, we'd got a house together, we got, um, you know, he'd got two children and, you know, we um, registered our relationship with the state. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you old romantic. <laughs> I know, I thought that sounded good, you know. So thank you for the registering of that relationship. But then, funnily enough, then I got the ring, put it on my finger, um, didn't change my name, never would, but, uh, and, and actually it does make a difference, and I, I, like, I like being married. Anything that helps me feel like a grown-up, I'm quite, you know, I'm quite pleased about, because there are no grown-ups, that's what I've realised, even when you get older you think, I still feel like, is this it, is this as good as it gets? And your final track is... My final track is uh, The One and Only by Chesney Hawks. <laughs> I think everyone should listen to that. I am the one and only. Excellent. Yes, yes, that's it. That's roughly, roughly it. I am the one and only. It reminds me of my stepdaughters. I've got two wonderful stepdaughters who I um, knew since they were five and seven. And they're now in their 30s with families of their own. So um, I just want to say yay to my stepdaughter. But this particular song, the one and only, Hannah, my, my youngest stepdaughter, um, absolutely loved Chesney Hawks when she was a teenager and I must say I had a little crush on him as well and so I remember going on holiday one time and we were in the car and there was Hannah and I just like can we hear that again and Maya my other stepdaughter and my husband oh please no (laughs) but it's just it's just this beautiful I just remember that time and I love adolescence I love teenagers and I loved their teenage years you know that's very unusual most people kind of dread that time don't they when it comes to kids and kids are when they hit teenage they're the bogey people of society aren't they really oh, they really are I mean they're, they you know they're they're so dramatic and so self-centered that's what I love about it it's so sort of intense and that you know the intensity of feeling that they feel but I've got a theory about I've got a theory about teenagers that is sort of that adolescence is sort of nature's way of making when they finally leave home not so bad. You know, by that time you've gone through adolescence and you just think, yeah, okay, off you go. <laughs> that was Andrea Levy and her Chesney Hawks fixation. So that's it for this month's family podcast. Thanks to Tim Dowling. Thank you. Justine Roberts and Andrea Levy. And for more family sized fun, turn to the family section in The Guardian every Saturday. So, from me, Miranda Sawyer, and my producer, Sarah Peters, goodbye. The Family Podcast, sponsored by Jump. To find out more about starting a child's trust fund, visit jumpsavings.com.